So this morning we want to continue our study in the uh, Book of Romans. And, uh, uh, and we'll be looking at the, the Book of Romans this morning. And we'll be looking at the, uh, uh, the in fact, this morning, uh, uh, this is the first morning in eight weeks. We started the Book of Romans seven weeks ago. This is the eighth week this morning. And for seven weeks... Uh, uh, how many know what, what chapters we've covered so far? One. One. Very good. That's great. That, that's, that's really great. And uh, if you want to show that next slide there, uh, is um, this slide, or this section of, of the chapter one is, is an indictment. And it goes actually to uh, 320. So that, that's quite a long indictment. <laughs> And, and it's been kind of a heavy indictment. And, uh, and, and so when we're going through this, and this it's, it's not really, it's, it's hard text to preach because it doesn't come in where you can say, here's a really great positive conclusion here. Oh, John, would you like an Altoid? Sure. I thought maybe you might... Uh, could use, you, use that, I don't know, but, but uh, as we go through this section, um, uh, and the section I start today, if you're newer with us today, you really got a really good break there because you got to uh, uh, start a brand new chapter today. Kate, did you use an Altoid? I could. <laughs> Could you use an Altoid? Thank you. Ever get people that ask you that could you, could you use an Altoid? Good anybody? I mean, I'm just trying to be helpful this morning. Jackie? Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all right. I kind of like get us off to a good sweet start. Gary? <laughs> Someone said please back there. Um, I didn't have much conversation with you today, but uh, maybe you could use one there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a strange feeling, isn't it, when someone walks up to you and says, would you like a breath mint? <laughs> How do you really know if you got a bad breath? <laughs> Come on. That's one of those hard ones, isn't it? Your husband tells you. You know, that's interesting. You get all dressed up in your nice fancy dress, and she says, how do I look? And you say, you look great. Your breath smells. <laughs> Just kind of takes the life out of things. So, uh, Romans uh, 2, 1 through 16, it's kind of about bad breath. Probably never thought about that before. So, why don't we take a look at this? 
If you got your journals, you can get your journals out. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the second chapter there of Romans and take a look at that. But I'd like to do a little bit of review of where we've been. So, uh, there's 17 verses before 18, obviously. And that sort of establishes the foundation of the righteous shall live by faith. And just kind of really quick as we go through this, is that screen crooked? <laughs> it looks a little strange, doesn't it, to me? How's that? We put new lights in, in case you haven't noticed. We've stopped the blinking. There you go. <laughs> Some of you said, will you please stop the, the torture bleeding? All right. We're all LED, so we save 20 bucks. Okay, so, so, John, so he starts out, replace, so you replace God, and the indictment you replace God, your consequences of replacement, and then people's minds stop working. And when you replace God, you've got to go on your own life. You've got to go on your own lifestyle. You've got to go on your own thinking. And then you, and come on, how many of us really think that well about things? And so you've got to stop. So then when you throw God out the window and society throws God out the window, then you've got to do your, then people's minds start really going way off the chart. And then, then they go way off the chart and anything goes. There's no rules. There's no regulations. It's a shootout constantly it's a wild west personified and then it's people and then people begin to celebrate evil because they just do because it makes money and then eventually when we crack chapter 2 1 through 16 it opens up a next section when the world's going to you know well in a handbasket well then then things are miserable in life and people are next to you they're miserable then you go to the water cooler or you take a break at work. What do you talk about? You talk about all the mess. And you know, you, you know the mess are those other people. It's the other people. It's those people. Whoever those are, those people. You don't have bad breath. Thank you. So let's take a look here at uh, this next slide here. This next slide is, uh, is very much saying the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 7, which is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's, it's the same discussion, and uh, just to kind of give you a quick uh, review of this, is that this discussion on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with self-righteousness. He deals with the things that, that are not, he's trying to get at, that is deep wrong, down inside, that you don't know, that's still there. And, and there's a couple things here that, and, and this, this, there's a famous scripture that opens chapter 7, it's the second, this is the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, that everybody memorizes all their life. Judge not, lest you be judged. Now, when you go through this, that seventh chapter, and when, we, and, and when we get into Romans 2 here in just a second, he's talking about judging. But before we get to Romans 2, I thought it would be helpful to have a little prerequisite course 
on Matthew 7 when Jesus opened up this account. Now, give me, let me give you a little more background here. Now, when Jesus is talking in Matthew 7, this is one of the major pieces of information of, of teaching from Jesus. And it's the longest single record recorded in the New Testament of, of his teaching. It comes early in the prime pinnacle out of the shoot start of his earthly ministry. So he sets the tone here. And the people he's talking to are in the Judean region. And the people that are in the Judean region are really a mixed bag. There's a lot of Jews in the Judean region, of course. But there's a lot of the Jews have been long since carried off and then have come back from captivity. And so there's a mixture of people there with different backgrounds, both theologically as well as the Roman troops that were occupying the area with a lot of pagan backgrounds. So it was an infiltrated audience. And Jesus gives this information and he talks about, as he does a wrap-up in chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, after he lays out a lot of information there, and then he gets to seven, he says, and your righteousness should exceed that of scribes and Pharisees. Well, nobody liked the scribes and Pharisees, so why would you want your righteousness to exceed the scribes and Pharisees? And they didn't like him, and Jesus didn't particularly like him either because he had conflict with them. So what is he really saying there? So he gets down to the end of this message, and he opens this discussion up, and he talks about judging. He talks about no judge, you'll be judged for the same way you will judge others. You will be judged, and the measure you use will be measured to you. All right, so this... Somewhat familiar with us. But I want to give you a little primer here on some of the words that were used by Christ in the New Testament and by Paul. Now, the first word here is dokumazo. It means to test, examine, prove, discover, demonstrate, or to interpret. The next one is onocrino, ask questions, evaluate, examine, to evaluate, to scrutinize, investigate. And diacrino, make distinction between a person, weigh thoroughly in discernment. I don't know if that's profiling or not, but those first three Greek words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And when you look at those three first three words there, every person that got here this morning made some kind of judgment. You decided to stop at that little sign that's red with S-T-O-P on it. You decided that was the wisest you could probably do this morning. So you made judgments. You made this, and which means, incidentally, as a parent, you can make judgments. You can, you can ask questions. You can evaluate. You can examine. You can make distinction. You can do that. And that doesn't make you a bad parent. And doesn't make you a bad Christian. You have to make distinctions. Now, if you, with that background of information, you get down to the last word is crino. Means to pass judgment, sentence, and condemn. The context, the use of that word within the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here on judgment. He is saying that the one area of judgment that we don't use or shouldn't use or, or the area if we get into or is destructive is becoming when we start exercising criminal judgment. That's the specific area of judgment that he wants us to stay away from. And the interesting thing about these judgments here, let's, let's go on to the next slide here. 
just a quick review of, the, of that seventh of the of the seventh chapter when he talks about judgment is in relationships we need to keep perspective and and carefully think it through when dealing with making judgments and he uses a little bit of humor here because he says in three and four he, he used that story that we probably most of us are familiar with is the speck of speck of wood or a little flake of something in the air in your eye and the and and the other and the other guy has got a two by four in his eye and the two by four guy says i want to point out your speck and jesus says when it comes to relationships deal with your hypocrisy first But you've got to sort of believe you have the potential for it to start with. So he says, you've got to deal with that first, and then you need to aim at reconciliation. You need to work at making relationships work, and that's something we really, oh, that's a struggle, that's a challenge for us. And then he goes on to say, you have to have discernment, and you need to ask God for help for discernment. It goes in that section there about prayer. We often use it a little prayer thing, but it's about dealing with people. God, help me deal with these people. Some people just require a lot of grace from you. And, and then he goes on to say, there are tough judgments. He said, that's the same section he says, enter into the narrow gate, not the wide gate. When you make gate decisions in life, all of us make gate decisions. Who are you going to marry? That's a, gate. That's a gate decision. There's a lot of wide gates. And there's some narrow gates. And you have to make a decision on that. So there's a lot of difficult questions that you need to answer when, when you go through life. That requires judgment. That requires discernment. That requires watching, evaluating, testing, analyzing, getting counsel to make those decisions. That doesn't make you a bad person. That makes you a wise person. And then be alert to danger. He says, and here he says, watch out. When you go through this life, there's a lot of cons out there. And they're out to get you. They're out to sell you a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of false prophets. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of bad information. There's a lot of false news. And so he's saying, Christians, to get through this life, you need to think that through carefully. And then he says, and make the right investment. And, and you, here's, we've, we've, we know this part of the sermon that as he ends up. Remember he says, let me just make sure you... He says, therefore, since he finishes this, this discussion on judgment, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, put them into practice. He's like the wise man that built his house on the rock. But you don't build houses, you don't build lives on sand. Because life comes and washes them away and destroys them. You build a life on the solid truth. And that requires 
discernment, judgment, evaluation, testing, counsel, weighing, and making that decision. Now, let's go to Romans 2. That's your primer, your pre-wreck. Secrets of the Self-Righteous. Read this section to you. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same thing, you think you will, you th do you think you will escape judgment? Or do you know, or do you show contempt for the riches of the kindness and tolerance and patience, but realize that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? So I've looked at this section, and then you go on into verse 5 down to 11, and then 12 to 16. I've just broke it up into three sections just to kind of make it a good chunk to put there. This first section, if you go back to the title there, is a calculating heart. Now, in the journal that we, you have here is New English Standard Journal. It has that word, suppose. Verse 3, do you suppose? The NIV I just read, it's sort of in there, but it's not specifically there. And if you have a King James Bible, it says, Reckonest thou, O man? Now, and I mentioned O man, there's a couple of things, other things you need to keep in mind here as we go through this. The audience that Jesus is talking to is very much like the audience that Jesus, or Paul was talking to, is very much like the audience that Jesus was talking to in the Sermon on the Mount. It was a mixed bag of people. In 39 AD, uh, the Jews in Rome were driven out of Rome. And then in 49 AD, they were driven out again. But between 39 and 49 AD, the church in Rome primarily was mostly Gentiles, like most of us here. We're a mixed bag, Heinz 57. So we were mostly like that. So the church has changed over hands, but the church still was settled first about 30-some A.D., in Rome because it came for Jewish people that migrated there. So you've got a mixed bag of people there. So he's not just, in this section here, they oftentimes you read in some books and scholars and commentaries, they'll say, this judgment is directed to the moralist, not to the pious religious people. And in fact, several scholars will start verses 18 to the end of this chapter as a direction to the Jewish people or the religious people and application, which it does fit fairly well. But it's very hard to draw that line distinctly. But we do have the first 16 verses is specifically, it seems to be going to those who are moralists. By moralists, it means this way. As you well know, there are people that go to church and go to church regularly and hold to the scriptures and live by the scriptures. There are that segment in our culture. But there's a huge segment in our culture that just like to say, I'm free from that old past and I can do this brilliant thinking on the surface 
uh, uh, because I'm so well educated and so well uh, schooled in so many different areas. And so I am free from any of these uh, religious requirements in my life. But Paul addresses all these audiences. He challenges these audiences here. He challenges us to think through this deeply. And so, he, so there's the calculating heart. And the word here, suppose, that's translated there in English, is where we get our word logic, reason. Uh, and, and, and the heavier use in the first century of this word was to calculate, to analyze, and come up with an angle. So he's saying here, and some of the secrets here of the righteous in this chapter 2, is they have a calculating heart. They're going to figure a way out to get around this relationship with God. They're going to figure it out. They're, and notice here, isn't it interesting that the people that are doing the judgment seem to have such a cool understanding of what they're judging. And what he says here is they have a cool understanding of what they're judging because they're doing what they're judging other people about. How many of you parents, oh, you got to ask your kids, how did you know that? Well, because <laughs> I just know. How do you just know? Because of what my friends and I did. Oh! So it's the calculating heart here, old man, who judges who practices things to do that. Next slide there. They, and notice that big hyphen there, big space there. It's almost like Paul says, how can, you, how can you reason this way? And then he says, do you think you will escape God's judgment? How can you play this game of pointing the fingers at someone else and you're involved in the same thing? If you, and even if those of you that point your finger at someone else, you're in your heart, you wish you could have done the same thing. You're thinking the same thing. You may not be doing it, but you're watching it. And, and the thing is here about the calculation, the human nature is, I can figure out how to bluff God on this. I will do this so well, he won't know. He won't figure this out that I'm two-timing him. And then he adds his little wrap-up. Do you presume on the riches and the kindness and forbearance of God because his God's kindness, the reason why he hasn't smacked you right now is because he's hoping out of his great love that you will come to a realization. My heart is not consistent. I'm playing a con against God and on myself. I'm pretending to be really interested in these things, but I'm just playing the game. I mean, this is part of the indictment. But I'm just playing with it. Now, the next little section here he brings up is the calloused heart. But because of your hard and impertinent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those who be who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
but for those who are self-seeking. Now, the self, and it's interesting the writing style here, but he said there's the hard heart. The, the word hard here is where we get our, our, our term arterial sclerosis. It's hardening of the arteries. Hardening of the arteries don't happen usually just like that. It's a slow period of life you go through and your arteries get a little stiffer, a little stiffer, a little less flexible. It takes time. It's a slow process, but in God's goodness, he gives us opportunity to get our acts together. But we don't really know it. We harden ourselves. And what he's saying here, but, but you, why, what's, what feeds hardness of our arteries is self-seeking and they do not want to obey. In other words, you know, I don't really want life. The idea of being hard here is when you, when you deal with things in life, life hardens you. How many of you could say, I've had a few raw deals handed me. I've had a few, I've had a few things that have not been fair to my life. Duh. And you have a decision to decide what's gonna, what are you going to think about on those hard deals. And Paul is saying to his audience here, folks, he's got a missed bag of audience here of Greeks and Jews, and he says, we've, we've, we've got to deal with life here and not let life get to take advantage of us and harden our hearts and become self-seeking. I'm, I'm in this for me. I don't want to obey the truth, but only obey unrighteousness. I think that's an interesting statement there. How many people have come across in life? I don't have any bosses. I'm my own boss. This, this scripture says, nope. You are the boss of someone. Sooner or later, someone's your boss. Someone tells you. And this dude, his boss is the boss of unrighteousness. That's who he serves. There will be tribulation, distress, for every man who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek. And this is the first piece of the scripture right here. He kind of throws, he finally, he talks about, if you read that character, he says, oh man, oh man. Then this scripture, he says, Jew and Greek. As everybody. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no impartiality. Glory and honor and peace for everyone. And, and, if, and the first part of that verse is glory and honor and peace comes from those who want basically glory is I want God to pat me on the back. I want to live a life so I can know that God is reasonably pleased with me. And, and I want to live a life that people will say he has a a principle that he's living by. He's a dad that's living by a principle and holding ground to it and not stepping back all the way through. And then the last wrap-up section here in verse uh, um, 12, for all who have sinned, go to the next slide there, 
is the one that's conflicted heart. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now notice one thing on this section. We have not got to the portion of Romans yet. This is critical grasping this. Where he opens up the way of salvation is through Jesus. The way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. He hasn't really sprung that until you get to 3, 3 20, 21, 23. He, this section, he unpacks the whole thing. So he's talking to a group of people that come from Jewish background and a group of Gentile people. Who, who the Gentiles, they don't know anything about what you know about the Bible or about Christ or about the Old Testament. They know minuscule, nothing. But they do know that life's not right inside. There's not, this is not the way it should be. That's, you have to put that audience in your brain there. For God shows no partial for all. But he says, the hearers of the law, that's where he gets a splash back to the Jews there, the hearers of the law, the hearers of the law are not only righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Next slide. For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show the law, for the law is written on their hearts, when their conscience will also bear witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men in Christ Jesus. This is not a little piece of blow over scripture here. He's looking at that mixed audience that has no background in the Old Testament, no knowledge of Torah, no knowledge necessarily of Moses, no knowledge of anything like that. They've been brought up in a totally pagan culture. And they got some, because the Jews have been ripped out back and back and forth, they got some implication of it. And there's some Jewish people that came there where there's some Jewish people that can look down their nose and say, you Gentiles are so immoral. You know so little about the Bible. Paul goes, oh! What are you Jews doing? There's conflicted hearts here. They're not, not they, am I all in or am I not all in? Am I playing a game or am I not playing a game? Jew and Gentile. Calculating, hardened by life, just non-decided, just sort of waiting for something to happen to give me commitment to Christ. Deep commitment. There's a story. It's a mini story. Most of you have heard it. that most of us blew off 
as something that came from and is only for kids. It's the Old Testament in a nutshell when it comes to self-righteousness. And boy, this guy had really bad breath. His name was Jonah. He smelled. You remember the story? God says there's a group of people that need to hear the truth about God. In a place in Assyria, the capital of Nineveh. And he says, I want you to go there and share that word. And you know where the, you know, the turn of the story right there is. First chapter. It's only for more little chapters. You can read it in about 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Because God's always been dealing with this problem of our hearts. And, he's, and Jonah says, and, and it's interesting, the details in there, he goes and buys it, goes to this whole store. He buys a ticket. I can just, you know, I don't know about you. When I know I'm going against God, I can mess around with a lot of things for a long time. I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. I can stall. I can rationalize. I can come up with every angle. He goes and buys a ticket and he goes and buys He wants to go to Spain. It's a long way from Nimba. It's like the opposite direction. And why, we don't know, but apparently it was eaten at his heart because he was constricted. He had a constricted heart and he was calculating that he could get out of this and get out from the of God's ask. Because he thought he was smarter than God and he can whip this on God because he was a calculating guy. And apparently he had some really things, axes to grind about the, the Ninevites, and his heart was hardened, and he decided he was going to go a different direction. So he goes a different direction, but he gets on board the ship, and a great storm hits. But the interesting thing, the sailors on the ship, here's what the sailors on the ship say. Man, go wake Jonah up. Ask him to pray, because we pray to all the gods that we know. All oh, those old Gentiles, they don't know what they're praying to. Those stupid Gentiles. Go ask that preacher. Now, why did they ask him? Because he already told some of them, my life's, I'm, I've got to get out of Dodge because God's on my trail. What do they say? The storm gets worse and worse and worse. And then these guys say, <laughs> these guys say, uh, Jonah, I don't know what else to do but throw you overboard to appease your God or something because I don't want to go down with this ship. And then they say, would you please pray that if we do this, that this sin will not be held to our charge? <laughs> Did you hear about those two fishermen that went to the cops in Brazil and told the cops about the two journalists that they murdered and hid their bodies in the Amazon River bed? Two fishermen. Why in the world did you never find anybody in the Amazon? And they went and confessed and led them to them. Well, what's going on in their hearts? But the Gentiles, who doesn't know the Old Testament, had a conviction. 
The thing is, as you read through this, this whole section here, and you read through that section of the Sermon on the Mount, you read through the life of Jonah, God is saying, I've put in people's hearts to want to do the right thing. This is not about salvation by works. This is a desire to live the right kind of life. Desire to live the right kind of life, to love and to live and to raise your children right and teach your principles right. It doesn't mean you don't have to do anything in relationship to the scriptures. That's common, coming as we go through this. But it means there is a conviction in people's hearts what's right and what's wrong. And you can manipulate and calculate and screw with everything you want to screw with to come up with a different equation, a different conclusion. But it will not work that way. There will still be in your heart. And when Jonah comes back out, out of, out of the, he's tossed over the side, gets swallowed by a great fish. That's always an interesting little piece there. And as Siri wraps around my head, Jonah says, I'm about ready to go. Uh, and then he says, well, my life was ebbing away. And he says, I remembered you, Lord, and I remember my prayers to you. And, uh, and those that cling to worthless idols. And, and uh, he says, I'll vow I'll make good. And God had the fish spit him up. And then the story goes on. He goes to Nineveh, and he gets to preach at him for a number of days and tells him this God's conviction is upon him. And lo and behold, what do they do? What do those crummy people do? <laughs> they repent. That wasn't supposed to happen. He calculated that wasn't supposed to happen. And what is his attitude? Crumb. Now that's bad breath. That's deep inside someone's heart there. And it's hot in Nineveh, and the vine grows and calls shade over his head, and he gets a break from the shade in the high desert, low humidity, and the shade feels good. And he goes, wow, those crummy Ninevites. And then a worm comes and cuts it down, and then he says, I'm really teated you, God, again. How can you play a game like that with God Almighty? I'm teated you, God. And God says, Jonah, did you make the vine? No. Remember, the goodness of God leads to repentance in Romans. goodness of God and there's so many good things I mean I, I, know, I know I can come up with quickly a lot of things to be a grouch about oh, it just takes me a few seconds but the goodness of God Let's just show that last slide. You all have sung this probably at some time. Wise man built his house upon the rock. Rains came down, the floods came up, but the house of the rock stood. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Did you notice in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't just hear it, do it. 
Paul says, don't just hear it, do it. Even in this first century church, a mixed bag of Jew and Gentile, Paul is saying, you've got to have a life where you demonstrate the convictions of your heart consistently. Now, none of us are 100% consistent, and we'll never be. That's where the rest of the book of Romans is going to pick up as we continue this series. Let's pray. Gracious Father, your word really challenges deeply heart and soul. There's so many areas, Lord, that we just fight against who we really are and what's really going inside of us and what we're really thinking. God, help us to be those hearts that seeking for peace with you and seeking to glorify you and walk with you. And Lord, even in our brokenness and our weakness, that's what we pursue. Father, help us to be a church that demonstrates to this community and this county we have some deep convictions to love you from our hearts pure and true pursuit of you. Help us, Father, to see that and not fake ourselves out. In Christ's name, amen.